Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to once again tune in and invest in yourself today. The Business Creators Radio Show is a From the Field podcast, which means we go where you go to have those aha moments and mastermind experiences that can transform your trajectory and bring you ever so closer to your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. So we don't have a high-tech studio, we don't have a high-tech office, and we broadcast from different places. Sometimes you'll hear ambient noise in the background. I may be in a in a coffee shop or a cigar shop. I may be sitting outside. Today, we're going to be going back and forth between my balcony and my living room here in beautiful Las Vegas, known to some as the hottest city in America. And when you have a fully charged laptop, you can go back and forth. So what we're going to cover today is something that's very near and dear to my consciousness and my heart. And it has to do with corporate culture and company culture. Maybe looking at the Business Creators Radio Show and thinking, wait, that's one of the longest continuously running entrepreneurial podcasts on the air today. Well, for entrepreneurial ventures, when you have a virtual team, when you end up with employees, contractors, and even when it's a case, even if it's just you and one other person, there is a company culture there. Entrepreneurial ventures are not intended to stay small forever. In fact, we want to get big. And when you get big, you have a company. And when you have a company, you have culture. So we will continue to discuss these things, and we will continue to get fresh perspectives, including the one that you're going to get today from Gustavo Rossetti, who's today's guest. I'll tell you very briefly, he's the CEO and founder of Fearless Culture, which is a culture design consultancy that helps teams do the best work of their lives. He's been, for more than 20 years, helping leaders from Fortune 500, startups, nonprofits, and everything in between on every continent but Antarctica. Let's see if we can change that. Gustavo is also the creator of the Culture Design Canvas, a framework used by thousands of teams and organizations across the world to map, assess, and design their culture. In addition to his consulting work with clients, Gustavo regularly speaks with leaders and teams about culture change, teamwork, and hybrid workplaces. Key cultural issue there. His coaching and tools have helped countless executives and teams develop work environments where people collaborate to accelerate individual and collective performance. As a prolific writer and author of four books on culture change, Gustavo's insights have been featured in the New York Times, Psychology Today, Forbes, BBC, Fortune, and the Business Creators Radio Show, among others. Gustavo Rossetti, come on in. The weather's fine. Awesome. Thank you, Adam. Glad to be here. Glad to be uh, with you talking about culture and what it takes to build an entrepreneurial culture, regardless to your point of the company size. Oh, yeah. Now we uh, now we got my name in your list of ascendants. Ooh. So <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. Now, now, one of the many reasons that this is an audio only show, other than the fact I just really don't feel like holding a media pose for an hour, is it doesn't look good, even if it feels good, when I get excited about things and I end up wandering about where I am doing the raise the roof gesture because I'm so excited about things. But I will tell you this. <laughs> I will tell you this. Um, I was reticent to read off your entire official bio because it only proves that I'm not worthy to be in your presence. And this is my show. So uh, that that's oh, yeah, we're, we're, we're being facetious here to an extent. But what we like to do before we dive in, and I know you gave us some great talking points we're going to cover uh, while we're in the green room. And I have a couple questions of my own I may mix in if we have time, is before we get into all that, I read off the official bio, great stuff. And 
what we want to see before we do all this is, in your own words, tell us a bit about your journey, about what's brought you to where you are, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion today. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, one thing that's important, sometimes when you start a journey, you don't know where you're heading and then you start course correcting. And I think that when it comes to our own careers, that's a little bit the approach I always taking. I was listening to uh, one episode in which you interviewed a, a professional and she was talking about, oh, I drop out from college. And you say, no, no, there's no such thing as being a dropout. That busy has to do with what are oh, expectations. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that that was that was a few weeks ago. I hate that term dropout because it, it, it uh, it's any way too fail. And I think you heard the story of I told about my friend uh, who later went on be, to become a top forty recording artist. He was at MIT. He was a math genius. Wow! But about a year into his education at MIT, he was already making more money doing opening act gigs for major performers than his expected salary once he graduated MIT and music was his real passion. So he changed course. They called him an MIT dropout. He didn't drop out. He realigned and pivoted to move himself closer to his intersection of his brilliance and his passion. So when I hear about high school dropouts, college dropouts, corporate dropouts, company dropouts, entrepreneurial dropouts, didn't drop out. They pivoted. Let's change that language. Go ahead. Absolutely. Chose to. And and was I was exactly thinking about what something that happened to me at some point in my career. I studied marketing and advertising. That's how I got started into the creative world. And at some point, I got into psychology. So I studied two years and a half of social psychology. Then I did one year of psychoanalysis and many other things in between. And I remember I was being interviewed for a job and some person say, well, you didn't finish this. You didn't finish this. So you're a quitter. I say, what? No, I finished two careers and actually I continue to study. So it's like people are so structured. I was going to say stupid sometimes, no? in the way they see their path. And I think that for me, that was a pivoting point in terms to realize that uh, companies, usually they try to operate within a particular culture that's a little bit structured, rigid, and limits people's ability to lead. It, it comes from when people are recruiting talent. So they don't look for a, how can I find unique talent that's going to make my company better. They try to they define a box and then they try to see who can fix into and fit into that box. And, and basically that goes again, what a corporate culture should be all about. To your point, the moment you have two people together, you already have a culture in place. So even if you're just starting a business, you need to be very uh, intentional and insightful about what type of culture do you want? Because that culture is going to help you grow or it's going to become a hindrance as you continue to grow. So culture is something that you don't get to see. It's kind of invisible. But if at some point you don't take care of it, when it becomes evident, it's because you're having trouble. You're having issues and uh -huh. the culture is getting away. All right. So everyone knows and you have clarified in a new way that is even revelational to me in a way. The workplace culture is critical for business success. Yeah, I never thought about how it's kind of invisible until it really matters or it really has a, a very tangible impact. But what do we mean by culture? And as we go along with that, how can we make it more tangible since you just defined it as being, in some cases, invisible or subtle? Absolutely. I think that one of the issues with culture is there's been more talk about than action about no, so a lot of people like to uh, use the metaphor that culture is like an iceberg. So you just see the, the tip of it and most of it is invisible. I've been challenging that notion in the past few years with my practice, which is about culture design. I think that we can design the culture of a team, the culture of a company, the culture of a startup more intentionally. And the first challenge is to stop thinking that culture is something abstract. There's a lot of people that say that culture, it's a strategy for breakfast. I don't know if you heard the saying, 
And no, it's my is, first time. I'm learning. I'm learning so much here today. Thank you. Well, no problem. But people keep saying that all the time, and actually, they say that Peter Drucker said it, and there's no recorded way. If you go into LinkedIn, put "cultures eat strategy for breakfast," and you're going to find thousands of articles saying that Peter Drucker said it, and he never did. <laughs> so. That's the way how screw up when it comes to culture. People not only know what they're talking about, they're actually making things up. A culture is basically like an accelerator of who we are. I like to use the analogy, for example, like it's like the engine of your vehicle, of your car. If it's working, you don't realize it's there. You don't care unless you're a car fan and you like to tinker with, with engines. And if it's working, it's going to get help you go in the right direction. If it's really working, it's going to get you there faster and actually going to be fuel efficient. No, You're going to need less effort to get things done. The culture that's not working is completely the opposite. When the engine breaks down, then you need to take care of it, but it's too late. We define culture like a... a the collection is a system that includes the feelings, the emotions. How do people feel about each other, about their colleagues, about their job, about the company they're working? Do we feel proud? Do we feel like a, 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 a afraid? Do you feel excited? Do you feel depressed about the company culture? It also includes the mindset. How do we filter the reality? Do we feel that there were either we use a mindset of perfectionism? Do we use a, man, a, man, a mindset of creativity, entrepreneurial, uh, and then the behaviors, which is the most visible element, the things that people do, but also the people that the things that people don't do and should be doing. You know? So the behaviors in the end shape how your company is going to uh, evolve, grow, and succeed. Yeah. I, I'm also thinking about this analogy of you don't think about how well your car runs while it's running well, but when it breaks down, oh boy. Or, and this is something that happens a lot in Las Vegas because we can have some <laughs> pretty, we can have this one thing happen in Las Vegas for two reasons. I'm about to describe them and it has to do with tires. Uh, here, you're statistically, I think I read this somewhere. It's not a huge number, but it's enough to be aggravating. And I can tell you that I've had more of this happen since I moved here than when I lived in other places. You're statistically something like, I don't know, five or 6% more likely to have something puncture your tire. Mm -hmm. And you also, if you have one of those indicators on your dashboard, it shows when you have a low tire pressure to get a false positive. The former is because we have so little precipitation and therefore corresponding lack of a drainage system that when you have months, and we can go months without precipitation, the natural process of washing off parking lots and streets that it happens through you know, normal rain cycles doesn't happen here. So you get an accumulation of dust, dirt, and broken stuff. When we do get rain, when we do get downpours and rain, it doesn't come as a sprinkle, it comes as a freaking monsoon. And you ha you'll have this phenomenon where parking lots will very quickly flood. That's why you may see in the news, particularly uh, you know, with the, within the past few weeks, about all the flooding we have in Las Vegas. It's not that the whole city is underwater. It's that uh, we get these monsoon-like downpours that show up all of a sudden. And because parking lots are not getting washed off, you have and there, and there are no drainage systems like uh, many metropolitan areas will have. At least ours aren't developed the same way in all areas the parking lots will have this water gushing into the streets and it'll leave piles of debris right in the middle of the street outside the entrance of the parking lot and i'm talking about uh, piles that'll have elevations of three to four inches where you actually have to stop your car and go over them slowly well guess where it's in that pile a lot of broken glass so the reason i bring all this up is when you see on your dashboard, and you'll see it more often here than you may in other cities, that you have a low tire pressure warning, even though it's most likely a false positive due to an abrupt temperature change, because we can have a range of 40 degrees in one day. That's normal here. Wow. 
you have to wonder, did I run over something during that last rainstorm? Or did all that stuff that's been piled up in the corner of the parking lot, did something blow uh, Did something blow in front of my tire and now I'm going to get a flat that's going to appear at some random point, but I can't see it no matter how many times I test the tires and I'm not going to know until I get the flat. So that's moment of uh yeah the in, in nautical terms and naval terms i think they call the agony of collision that <laughs> wondering if you actually are going to get a flat tire or not and not really having a reliable way to test that unless you take it in for maintenance is like the culture saying there's something wrong here and then it just gnaws at you something's mm-hmm. not right my friend So, yeah, yeah, that's uh, it. Just made me think of that, and I like to uh, I like to teach by metaphor. So, when love it, you yeah. have that, when you have that sense, it's something's just not right, something's wrong, but you're not quite getting a handle on what it is. How do we find out what's going on? Yeah, I think there are two things that are really interesting of what you were saying. First, I was remembering one time I went to. Vegas, and then I went climbing to Red Rocks, and we slept in a tent overnight, and then it started raining. I have to run because there was flooding, so that what came to mind. Now, I think that sometimes in culture, when you start noticing the signals, it's a little bit too late. No, yeah. so you need to be a little bit more of a like if you're a business leader, I always say it more like a paranoid and try to observe beyond what you actually see uh, people tend to hide their emotions people don't necessarily express so if, if you're in a fearful environment people are going to tell their leaders hey i'm afraid of speaking up actually they, they stay silent no so silent silence is a quick way to basically notice what's going on with a company I mean, silence is good when people are using it to think, to reflect, to listen to others. But if you're in a meeting, it could be a Zoom call or an in-person meeting, and you feel that team members are not participating, they're not sharing, or there's one or two people that are basically uh, taking care of all the airspace, no? that means that something's going on. People are feeling either afraid to speak up, they're afraid of the consequences, or it could mean that, you know what, they already uh, uh, have their minds somewhere else and they're looking for a job. So it's too late and they're gone. Yeah. They're goners. Yeah. What I, what I, here's an uh, analogy I've used on a few of the episodes. And I even got interviewed on another episode on somebody else's show on this very topic. Uh, there uh, are warning signs that somebody has mentally checked out that you've lost them culturally that may actually look like things are going better. Let's say you have that person who uh, seems to complain a lot or are they complaining or they just bring up areas for improvement, but you don't think they should because they're lower on the org chart. So you brand them high maintenance because God forbid they actually have brilliance and passion and want to see your company kick ass and and, and everything it does. Then eventually they go quiet. And you notice that there's a slight improvement in the quality of their work. Well, you just lost them. Here's why. They realized that continuing to beat the brick wall of the culture of the organization was going to get them nowhere. They were tired of the bloody knuckles and being blamed for everybody else's problems. They decided that they were going to look for a job somewhere else. So in the meantime, they printed out a copy of their job description, which you will find in their drawer in the upper right-hand corner. And if you take that job description out, you'll notice that the staple's a little bit worn. It's got a couple coffee mug stains on it. Uh, Corners are bent, a little wrinkled, because they're checking it every day to make sure (laughs) that they are giving you everything. So So it appears that they're doing a better job because they're making sure that their product is exactly in alignment with the documentation of what you told them the product was supposed to be. So if you do an apples and apples for comparison, they removed innovation, 
and replaced it with compliance. This is so they can fly under radar while they conduct their job search. And the reason they printed out their job description is because they don't want, in case IT decides to monitor what they're doing on their screen at any given time, they don't want IT to pick up a trend that they seem to be looking at their job description a lot. So just when you think, oh, I got that complainer online, and look at that, they're doing better work. No, they're out of there. In fact, in fact, they've already quit. They just haven't given you notice yet. Yeah, you'll soon find out. I think that one thing that's really important when you talk about compliance or when people jump into agreeing with their managers too quickly or too often, that's also a, a sign that they basically lost them, no? Yeah. Um, I think that brings us to when you were talking about what's culture. You know, culture, it's not homogeneous culture. It's like you talk about the entrepreneur, but if you use the analogy of a family, a family of four also have a culture you know, that has different norms, different behaviors, yeah. different ways of interacting, how we talk to each other, how we give feedback, how we make decisions. Those are key elements of culture. And I think that uh, the same way that family cultures are not perfect, most of them actually are dysfunctional, but they learn how to operate and succeed even beyond those dysfunctionalities, right? Actually, yeah. that's part of their, their operating mode or system. And I think that leaders need to be open to have some kind of tension within their teams. You don't want your team members to always agree with you. You want them to be aligned in terms of where where are we here, what are we trying to achieve as a business, what's the direction. But then when it comes to the how, that's where you need your people to push back, to bring new ideas, to think differently. If they see that something's not working, like uh, going back to the sensor, no, when you were talking about the car, the tire sensor, you want to make sure that that tire sensor, if it's working properly, it turns on as soon as possible, not when it's too late, not when you read your tires are screwed up and you need to change them. And probably you're in the middle of the Nevada desert <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. So uh, I think that what you were saying is really great in terms of compliance. Managers perceive as, oh, these guys are performing better because they're not creating trouble. But sometimes I prefer people who create trouble because that friction is going to turn into creativity. And 100% harmony sometimes only brings repetition and monotony to a team or a company. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I got, I got to tell you that uh, part of the reason I'm an entrepreneur is because the last company I worked at, certain people in their senior management never got that through their thick skulls. And I was that person with their job description printed out for an entire year. <laughs> the reason it was a year is the reason it was a year instead of a month. And I'm not going to, I cover this story in detail on other episodes. So I'm just going to say it very briefly here. It's uh, because I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't know what questions to ask. And I didn't know there were questions to ask about how I could have compressed that year to a month. I just didn't know. And part of the reason I am a podcaster, part of the reason that I share stories, uh, even stories about myself that don't always depict me in a positive life. It's because I am, I am the voice of our listeners. I am your voice for those of you who are listening. I say the things that you may not be able to say. I ask the questions you may not be able to ask so that by joining with me, you can still gain the experience and the growth that comes with addressing the issue directly. Uh, Gustavo, I want to shift gears here because I want to make sure we have enough time for this. We are in a place right now where so much has been hybridized workplaces, seminars. I've experienced a bit of this myself. Uh, so you wrote a book about hybrid remote workplace culture, which I'm going to be reading myself. I can't wait. Uh, but why did you write it first off? And then I'll get into a little bit more detail. I would say the, the unexpected answer before I get into something philosophical where I have this moment of clarity I always say, like, why not? Why not me? Like, you're entrepreneurs. So I think that entrepreneurs are the ones who, when you see something that's missing, you jump and try to create it rather than yep. wait for someone else to bring it to life. And uh, as a culture designer and someone as a consultant who help organizations, 
I kept uh, being called and, 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 and hired for, by clients that they were struggling building this. So at some point, I said, not only I need to continue working with my team, helping clients, but I think there, there's such a vacuum when it comes to how can we get unstuck because leaders and comments were stuck in terms of what comes next after the pandemic that I decided to uh, uh, continue going uh, deeper into my research and then publish everything I uncovered in the form of a book. I think that uh, from a more emotional human uh, inspiration perspective, I was frustrated to see how leaders, if on one hand, they're so smart, people that are running businesses, entrepreneurs, people that are so, so savvy, so successful, but on their hand, they get stuck in their own beliefs because things used to work in one way, they think that, well, the pandemic is over, now it's gonna get back to how it used to be. And I was, hey, you haven't learned anything. I mean, many leaders thought before the pandemic started that people could never work from home, that that was a aberration, that was an issue that would never work. And then people not only proved that they could work from home, they could work remotely, they showed that they were trustworthy and also they help in many cases, not only keep the business afloat, but in many others, they actually became more innovative, they were more productive and they grew their employer's business. So why now that we have a time or an opportunity to choose to improve the workplace and to design it, bringing together the best of both worlds, why are so many leaders struggling and they want to get back to what's comfortable to them the way things used to be. That's why I basically say, no, I need to do something about it. And that's why I published a book. Yeah, uh, there are studies that have shown that, uh, particularly for knowledge workers in a cubicle farm, uh, out of the eight hours a day that they're mandated to stay in the office, the average amount of time they spend that's actually productive and valuable to the company is two hours and 54 minutes. And the rest of it is wasted in pointless meetings about what order senior management should be listed on the CC line of every damn email you send. Uh, and then there are also studies that <laughs> um, there are studies that show that the average, uh, quote unquote, full time knowledge worker. Uh, working from home can achieve most of their tasks uh, to uh, to good standards uh, between good and excellent, uh, putting in on an average of four hour workday. So I find it ironic that for so many years, they the the well, we have to have them in the office. We have to have command and control and supervision. We can't trust them. They're just going to goof off all day. Would cite the four hour statistic. Meanwhile, uh, they were getting half of that by having the people all crowd in the cubicle farm. Yeah, uh, you made you did your homework. <laughs> I think that's a, a oh, I, oh, I'm citing science since we love to say follow the science. Well, that's science. It's these are scientific studies that have been conducted. These are the results of those studies. Absolutely. I mean, now we have that 54% of people a recent study calling killing time at work, not yep. building on your idea. Oh, I've, oh, I've seen. Oh, I've seen this one. Please tell us. So basically, it says not only that people have that need. That's the idea of presentism. No, what you describe. Talking, going back to culture. The culture used to be never be the the last to arrive to the office. Never be the last, the first to leave. Because managers believe that the more hours people put, the more visible they are. The more busy they they they, they are, the more productive. Which, is, to your point. Every study and scientific analysis show it's not the case. It's so actually, the it's culture, actually, of, yeah, it's actually diminishing returns. The longer you work, the less productive you become. But go ahead. Absolutely, and basically, not only that, people get sick, people get frustrated, people feel that instead of focusing on doing great work and something that is exciting for them, they're just filling their hours. So it's a competition: who is busiest, who's the busiest in the, in, the, in, the, in town, basically. Is sending emails to a point, copying everyone else. So, oh, once again, visibility, uh, being in meetings that are uh, useless, but just to show, hey, I'm working. No? Yep. And today, what we have is that uh, most people not only feel that they need to be online, they're wasting uh, at least, at least one or two hours per day just being visible, basically, and not just because of their managers also because of their peer pressure. So it, this is stupid because we can ask team members say, hey guys, we don't need to be in this meeting. We don't need to be sending Slack messages or emails just for the sake of it. 
Right. However, going back to data, there's a lot of companies that show, for example, Spotify, they create this work from anywhere policy back uh-huh. in February 2021. And in the first year, they were able to drop the attrition rate by 15%. So when everyone's facing the great resignation, not only Spotify is not suffering, but actually they're doing better. Employee diversity, they improve the share of African-American and Hispanics employees from 12.7 to 18. And this is great for women, female leaders in the company, Spotify grew from 25 to 42%. So basically a lot of uh, indicators that companies are trying to achieve, they weren't. So these guys not only showed that hybrid work uh, is productive, it succeeds, their business keeps growing, same as Airbnb, which basically they exceeded 100 million nights, which is uh, um, in terms of revenue, 1.5 billion, no? Uh, yeah. A record for the company. They are doing exactly the same. They're telling people you can work from anywhere. Actually, we're not going to give you a salary cut because we trust you. So you're the same person regardless of where you work from. You choose to work closer to your friends, to your family, cheaper town, cheaper city. We're okay with that. Do your work. We trust you. Let's keep the business growing. Yeah. Um, you know, speaking of this uh, whole thing, uh, I I have a, in my meme stash, I have this tweet that was sent out by Dan Price, the founder of Gravity Payments. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, the guy yes. who reduces salary to $70,000 yeah, yeah, no, and everybody else. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, some people call him a bleeding heart, uh, leftist, socialist, Marxist, communist. I call him a, I call him a capitalist. Uh, because he understands <laughs> one of the core things about capitalism is if you if you take away people's psychological insecurity at work and give them less to worry about and you show them loyalty, they will give that right back to you. So since you and I are are geeking out on numbers here, uh, I'm gonna sh- I'm, I'm gonna give you some of Dan's numbers. In fact, I thought of this because we were discussing science. Uh, I'll read it to you. The average worker spends 55.2 minutes commuting daily to and from their work. Up 10% from 2006. The typical worker makes $20.17 an hour. But if you add in commuting time, which means spread that out as a variable cost, the pay rate drops to $18.09 an hour. So if people were actually getting paid for their commute time, the median worker would make an extra $4,800 a year. Now, let me add Adam's comments. Uh, Our infrastructure, our road system, particularly here in the United States, uh, are not equipped to handle quote unquote rush hour traffic. Uh, so you have folks who, uh, you know, they, the average is 55.2 minutes, but uh, it's not unusual to spend an hour and a half or even two hours commuting uh, during rush hour, taking a journey that if you just did it one hour earlier or one hour later would take you less than 45 minutes because that's how bad congestion is. Uh, you're fighting through every manner of things that will fuck your mind just <laughs> to get to work only to leave your house two and a half hours before your your day your shift starts and despite all of your efforts to be there on time still be one minute late and have a boss tapping their watch as you walk in the door and then have three meetings with you that'll take an hour and a half of your time about the need to be punctual and what it means for the organization so there and then and then they're wondering how we get two hours and fifty-four minutes of productivity out of people. So I bring that <laughs> up. I bring that up. Uh, because I want to look at something else about challenges in a high environment, uh in AC virtual teams. On another episode of the show, I can't remember which one it was, uh, our guest mentioned that they were attempting to hold a hybrid meeting. Uh Everybody except one person was physically in the office. Mm-hmm. One person was dialing in via Zoom, and they were going to put them up on the big monitor in the conference room and then use the speakers and the microphone to sort of include them in the meeting. Uh, they found out that didn't work because it felt like there was that one person being left to sit alone at the, at the table at lunch. Uh, I have an experience where I worked with one of my clients to – add a hybrid component to a seminar he did in San Diego last year. So it was an in-person seminar. Uh, it was 2021, so there were still restrictions and all that. So he was only able to sell 35 seats. That was it. Mm-hmm. That was it. 
but his demand was much higher. So with a combination of people who couldn't or wouldn't travel and the limitations on the room, he decided to hybridize the event. And we decided very early on that the only way the hybrid was going to work is if there were at least 10 people attending virtually. Here's the reason why. You had, at this event, you had one culture going on in the room. On the virtual side, you had another culture in its chat room. Two separate cultures, same event, same presenter, same curriculum. So with all, with all that, what are some of the other challenges that you see as far as succeeding in these hybrid environments? This is actually the main reason I brought you on. Yeah, I think that uh, there are many challenges. One of the, the key ones is to your point to level set the playing field when it comes to you have people joining remotely and people joining from the room, you need to create a space in which everyone feels that they're on the same page. That requires facilitation. So and if you're doing a hybrid event, I've been in many, I have to speak and I have audiences that are joining remotely and a lot of people are in a regular conference room, you know, like they've been watching different speakers live on the stage and I'm joining yep. from, a, from a camera. So we designed the experience, uh, for example, giving people pre-work, the ones who are going to be in the audience, uh, uh, maybe collecting the questions ahead, having a facilitator that is there, but also a facilitator that's watching the event via their computer so they can see what's the experience for those who are outside of the room, and then they can create that kind of experience. Microsoft, for example, when they facilitate hybrid meetings, they're always encouraging that the person who facilitates the interaction is someone that's not in the physical room. So they can be a little bit more a, a, a clear about that. There are also power plays. And uh, so turn taking is another important thing. Like, for example, if you have a, a team that are joining from different places, to have someone that is calling each person's name to make sure that they can ask their questions or share their ideas and everyone's involved, and usually having leaders being the ones who speak uh, last. If another key issue when it comes to hybrid is documentation. So when you're all in the same space, it's easier to find information. If you're missing something, you can go to a colleague and ask, hey, what did we talk about this? What was the agreement? And even if that's not perfect, at least you feel that it's easier to access to information or something that you're missing. So in a hybrid team, you need to be very obsessive about how you document all the decisions about everything so people can find it in the server rather than have to talk to colleagues and, and figure out what was uh, discussed. No? Yeah, I, I think that's very, very important. And I like to also add the word asynchronous. Uh, the uh -huh. way I define asynchronous, particularly when it comes to virtual teams, and this becomes even more of an issue when you have this hybrid model, is you don't have everybody all working at the same time. You don't have anybody working with the same style. Uh, one of my consulting clients, uh, I'm part of a team with them, and there's, uh, and there's essentially four of us. You could not imagine four different personalities, worldviews. Uh -huh work styles, uh, times of day and days of the week that people work. Some of the learnings I put in my book, Groundhog Day is an event, not a business strategy, are things I innovated to make my work with this particular client effective, uh, one of which is the principle of dependencies if you want people to take your deadline seriously. Uh, for example, Gustavo, let's say that somebody, uh, let's say you have a client. I'm going to make this up. I don't know. I'm not sure if this act exactly represents the work you do. Let's say you have a you have a client uh, who wants to you know, wants you'd help them transform how their people work, lead, and create together. There I am using your tagline. Uh, <laughs> and uh, there, and they, um, and they say, uh, I need you to get us an analysis of the data from that survey you did of our employees by Friday. Okay. Mm -hmm. And pause. So what? Uh, particularly if that client, whoever you're working with, has built a track record of setting deadlines, you meet the deadlines, and then nothing. You get no feedback. They don't act on it. They don't even acknowledge you turned it in. So in that case, what do you care? However, if you have 
dependencies in the form of a subsequent action that depends on your action to be performed by another person, and you have clear documentation stepwise between one and the other, damn right you can get that report done by Friday because you uh, are not going to leave Lisa stranded when she needs to compile that data into pie charts on Monday afternoon. Mm-hmm. You'll let your you'll let yourself off the hook all day long. You'll look in the mirror and say, Gustavo, you're a good man. Uh, you you did what you could, but dagnabbit, that report, what about that report? But you're not, or at least much less likely to, say, oh, well, to hell with Lisa. No, no, you're gonna come, you're gonna come through because you want to be seen to others as helpful supportive team player innovator somebody who raises the bar and the caliber and makes the entire team function more effectively just by your contributions to it so giving people the opportunity to be seen as such to me has been uh something we've done some innovation around with respect to helping people actually care about deadlines and getting asynchronous workers to be able to collaborate more effectively. Absolutely. I think that the you talked earlier about the challenges. You know, that's one of the biggest yeah. challenges that, that people still think that collaboration means working all together at the same time in the same room, <laughs> either virtual or physical. <laughs> that that didn't even work in college. Come on. Well, but that's how people think. You know, when they say, let's collaborate, what the, what's the immediate reaction from a manager bringing people together? And that's why uh, uh, there are so many meetings and so many email back and forth because people expect to work at the same time rather than to your point. Let's talk about the projects. I'm going to take care about the data analysis. Lisa's going to do the pie charts, whoever is going to present. And then we divide and conquer and each person can work at their own pace at their own time. Do I like to work early in the morning? No, personally, I don't. I prefer to work. I don't. I, I don't. You know? you, that's me and you. If, I mean, if you're actually saying you're not a morning person, now that makes two of us. <laughs> Four. <laughs> yes. Because we're, we're twice more productive at night, but whatever. Yes. And the point is, uh, if you trust the system, then people are going to get work done. But then forcing people to uh, align their a, a preferences. No, if you're early a, 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 a morning person or someone is more of a night owl, you no, know, how can we bring them together? Well, why should we? Or if you have some a, personal things that you need to take care of in a particular day, why don't allow you to choose when you can take care of the project as soon as uh-huh. you can have it ready by the deadline and before Lisa needs the data to design yeah. the charts, no? Yeah. And that's critical. And, and that's why companies are struggling to shift towards this asynchronous uh, mode because they want to be always on, they want to be always present, they want to, they, you know, meetings. Meetings, for example, should be a last resort. I always uh, t- uh, tell my clients, you know, does it really have to be a meeting before you send, you click send to that invite? Where do you actually need other people? Can you figure out yourself before bothering others? Are there any ways to get input from people? Uh, can you use a, a Slack message? If you're making a decision, create a document, share what you're trying to decide, what's the challenge, what are your points of view? Ask people, what kind of input do you need? They don't need to get into a meeting. Let them uh, reply to you whenever they have time. Let them think about it, no? Asynchronous also allows people to be more reflective, to spend more time to uh, not be in this anxious mode that we need to reply right away. And they're, so they can do better work. They can be more thoughtful. And most work, to be honest, requires a, a, a focus. And focus doesn't come with interruptions. So we need right. to make sure that we protect that time in which we can work at our own pace, at our own preference, but without interruptions. And to your point, when you say that four hours are more productive, that means not only the amount of time, so people don't get stuck with the how many hours we work, but uh-huh. it's the quality of those hours. Four interrupted, uninterrupted hours, four hours that are of quality work, where you choose, if you are, to your point, if you are in your balcony, or if you're in a coffee shop, well, what works for you is going to make you more productive. 
Well, you know, I'm not bad with numbers myself, uh, unless it comes to uh, trigonometry or college algebra. So let me give you a couple more numbers. Uh, another, <laughs> another, another study, and let's talk about science. Uh, this, there's one, and I found this to be very much a case. Let's say you are engrossed in that analysis of employee survey data that you need to have to the client by close of business Friday. So the client mm -hmm. can review it and at least can make her pie charts. Um, <laughs> and you and uh, you know and uh, you know you decide. Let's say uh, you're you you have a lot of the stuff together, but you're going to do most of the work Thursday afternoon. You're going to most likely create a block of time for yourself that's between four and six hours. Because two things: number one, when you go into that type of focus for that type of creative writing and pulling data together and turning it into a narrative that's both informative and entertaining enough for somebody to actually read it, uh, you will need to go into a deep creative space that scientifically will become most impactful at about the third hour. In addition to those four hours, you may need an hour or two of just goofing off on social media and taking care of rote, meaningless tasks just to allow your brain to relax and get the creativity side kicking in. Now let's throw in another scientific study that shows that let's say you get your phone rings while you're in the middle of this deep work and you take the call because you figure, oh, I'll just take this call real quick. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's Frank in accounting. Uh, he probably wants to ask me about my expense report or something. Take mm -hmm. that call. And you say, Frank, the receipt's attached to the email. And he looks like, oh, duh. Uh, well, uh, okay, okay, see you, Frank. <laughs> it will take you on average 23 minutes and 15 seconds after you hang up to get refocused on what you're doing. Another thing we need to consider when it comes to culture, hybridization, asynchronicity. You have different work styles when it comes to meetings. Let's get into meetings a little bit more. Management tends to love meetings. And the reason is, is when you get to management, particularly higher levels of management, you tend to get trained to think of your day an hour at a time. And what is a great way to take up an hour? A meeting. When you are on the productive side or you're in a productive place, you tend to think of blocks of time that generate a product. And as we just discussed, that takes anywhere from four to six hours, all depending. So while you have people in management and control positions trying to book these hour, hour, hour here, hour there, hour there, hour everywhere else, you have uh, me and you saying, I can't have these random meetings willy-nilly. Uh, I need to have four-hour blocks. I need to have days with no calls. I need to have all my calls compressed to a 90-minute block so I can have the rest of the day to do this one thing. So you have these two competing impetuses on how we manage our schedules. In my, in my business, and uh, my assistant and producer will hear this, and this won't be the first time, is I have a role that uh, I am not to have anything scheduled on Tuesday or Thursday, no matter what. Now, there was mm -hmm. this client that wanted to hold some uh, series of strategic planning meetings or something, and due to the asynchronicity of that team, she said, well, we have to put two of these meetings on Tuesday because neither you or anybody else has the time. And I said, let's be very clear. I'm aware this client pays me a shit ton of money. And for that reason and that reason only, I will under protest and with extreme <laughs> frustration agree to these two meetings. But both of these meetings better happen and they better be fucking golden because you are interfering with my productive time. And then I would just find ways to bring up again and again and again, why do we have to have this meeting on Tuesday? Because it physically hurts. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I wasn't upset at, the, at her. Uh, she was doing everything she could to make something happen uh, within a very difficult set of parameters. Uh, on the other hand, my competing energy is I need Tuesday clear. I can't have calls and meetings on Tuesday. And the management of that project is thinking in, well, we need to get these meetings in so we can cover this, this, and the other thing, and they're in one-hour blocks.
I think that we were talking about asynchronous, you know, you cannot work yeah. in an asynchronous first yeah. so there you have, or team. Yeah. So that's an example of asynchronicity, whether you're in-person, virtual, or hybrid. Those two competing those two competing energies and methodologies for scheduling meetings and productivity. Exactly. I mean, you cannot work async if you and, and do deep work, as you were mentioned, with all the benefits that that brings. If you don't think first, as you said, in blocks. So rather than think of 30 minutes increments or one hour, we need to block like big chunks. I, for example, Monday morning from 7 to 1, 7 a.m. to 1 p.m., that's my writing block. And that's, yep. I don't give it to any client, no matter right. how much they pay, that's protected. I also have a block a, 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 around 2, 3 p.m. every Friday, and that's my a, unwinding time. So I want to get into the weekend slowly. So I predict that time. I can use it for work or I can use it for whatever I need, but I want to make sure that I don't have meetings. Uh, the, the point with time is either we learn how to own it, that means protecting it, or someone else is going to uh, steal it from us. You know? So rather yeah. than keep our calendars open, we need to design what works best for us. How do, when do we do our best work? What increments or blocks, sorry, we need to uh, write, read, uh, write a report, do that analysis, create a new product, whatever you need to do and make sure no one gets in the way. If you leave your calendar open, everyone's going to start stealing because people feel uh -huh. that they are powerful. It's great to have. I, I send you an invite. No, I need to accept it. No, why? I'm blocked. <laughs> There's something interesting that even in companies that we help them like really rethink about work, leaders don't respect the protected time. So teams say, hey, we're going to, protect, let's say, Monday and Wednesday without meetings so we can actually do work. And then the leaders say, I don't care. I want a meeting. And did it get into this fight because of your point? Leaders are used to get their own way. They think that that's the way they operate. They like to have meetings and they think everyone else should accept them because they are the boss. Yeah. And, and again, nobody's either right or wrong here. It's just, it's just a matter of the competing mind frames and approaches. Well, we start asking why and we start looking into the numbers behind this and how it impacts the organization, we can begin to see how to create flow and process out of the asynchronicity. So as we wrap up here, uh, one, uh, I have two quick questions here. So the first is about the role of leaders and the second is about any advice or tips. So the first one is, what can a leader do? What's the role of the leader when it comes to improving the workplace culture, regardless of the issue? I think that leaders need to understand that their job is not to decide, but to define the context. So they set up the environment, but then they need, they need to let people work their own way. You know? So leaders are about uh, defining what are we here for? What are we trying to achieve? What's our purpose? What's our mission, right? Let's say we want to achieve X, Y, and Z, but then let your team, that's why you hire them, that's why you should trust them, that's why you're paying them, let them define the how. So leaders need to stop trying to have all the answers and the solutions. They, be, they need to become better at asking questions that get their teams thinking and help their teams uncover their true potential rather than be the one who solves everything for them to show, hey, I'm smarter than you are. No, if you're smarter, let the team play no it's like a you cannot be a player and a coach i always use that analogy so if you're a team a leader you need to be uh, design the strategy uh, uh, hire the people have the team but then let them play the game you don't need to get into the field for to play for them let your team play and let your team most importantly win yeah uh for for example in my business uh which is helping entrepreneurs launch their podcasts we, once we implement the process and system for posting their episodes, we mm -hmm. give whoever is going to be doing their production and posting on an ongoing basis, a personalized to the client tutorial step-by-step -step on everything that happens between the episode getting recorded and the episode going live. What I say as a qualifier is mm -hmm. the first time you do this process do it exactly as I show you. Follow the steps exactly. The reason for that 
is there's a lot of secret spices in podcast reach that can impact how effective your episodes post episodes posting can be when it comes to how it improves the search engine optimization of the website and Mm -hmm. how it facilitates getting your guest to actually share the episode and promote the fact they were on your show. Uh, Because now we're getting into neurolinguistic programming and all other kinds of things that people only need to see, but they don't necessarily have to know how to do. So I say the first time, do it exactly as I say, so that you understand all of the secret spices. Beyond that, figure out how your work style can make this work more effectively for you based on how you approach things, what softwares you use, your preferred method of work. All that matters is that all the secret spices remain and the end product looks the same. So you can use different softwares, do it in a different order. Uh, If you come up with some other shortcut that doesn't take out any of the secret spices, God bless you, have at it. So to me, that's... uh, To me, that's how we created the balance that leads to consistent high quality in what our clients produce over time. Yeah, that's a great approach. I like cooking. And when people ask me to teach them how to cook a particular recipe or dish, I say, well, first, you need to follow all these steps and make sure you get them right. And once you become comfortable and the end result is good, then start experimenting. It's not, it's not, it's not by accident. I use the term secret spices. Uh, a couple mm-hmm. years ago when I became a bit of a gourmand in the kitchen, that's how I learned how to do a lot of recipes that I can now do extemporaneously. The first time I did it, I followed the, I followed the recipe to the letter. <laughs> even if, even, even if it was, even if it was creating port, even if it was creating uh, enough meals for eight people and it was just me. I figured I'd, I'd have two <laughs> sets of leftovers, or even if I ended up throwing something out, ended up throwing something away, I needed to do it exactly as I was told the first time so that I could get the result. Then I could start tweaking, you know, a little more of this, a little less of that, uh, do things in a different order, substitute one thing for another, et cetera. So finally, what advice or tips do you have for team leaders who want to improve their workplace culture for their reasons in alignment with their truth? Yeah, I think that the key element is that culture is the result of everyone's behavior. So leaders own the responsibility of building a healthy, positive, thriving culture, but they don't own the culture. It's like the major of a city. You you can define which streets are two-way, what's the maximum speed, and so on and so forth, but then let people choose if they want to walk, bike, drive, at what speed they want to drive, which music mm-hmm. they want to hear, uh, the color of their cars. No? That combination, that co-creation in which leaders set the environment, but then they give people freedom to choose is critical. And in today's world, that's even more critical. No? In an asynchronous, a hybrid workplace, freedom a flexibility, not just of where people work from, but a flexibility of letting people design their own workday in terms of how much they want to work, when, in the morning, late at night, if they want to have chunks of a, a, a block time for deep work, let them do that. But on their hand, you need to have discipline to make sure that that flexibility and freedom comes together. So if some people are working in the morning, some are working later at night, they always need to be in agreement. When are we going to collaborate with that shared time, collaboration time in which everyone's going to be available? So wrapping up, uh, going back to your example of cooking, no? so you need to be disciplined in following the steps, but then giving pl- flexibility to add or remove the spices that suit them best so they can create a dish that everyone's going to feel excited and passionate and proud about it. Yeah, absolutely. So the invitation I want to extend to our audience is, first of all, visit Gustavo's website. It's www.fearlessculture.design. That's www.fearlessculture.design, not .com, dot .design. This is a great website. I'm going to have to spend a little bit of time on it myself, particularly the resources tab. There are a lot of great 
downloads and tools here. Uh, there's a culture design canvas, a culture tensions canvas, uh, reframe, reframe the loss of change canvas. Oh, I'm curious about that one. Uh, and you'll see some of the books, one of the, which we've kind of talked about a bit during our interview here, and now we're officially naming it. It's called Remote, Not Distant, Design a Company Culture that Will Help You Thrive in a Hybrid Workplace. Our conversation is based on themes from that book. I encourage you to pick it up. I've already uh, put it in my Kindle library. I cannot wait to dive dive into it myself. Again, it's called Remote Not Distant. You can find it on uh, you can find it on Gustavo's website, and that's pretty much it. Read the book and check out those tools. Uh, with that, Gustavo Rossetti, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor, and believe me, an education. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.